there podcast listeners, I am your host Rochelle McLeod and you are listening to the Diary of a Glorified Fat Girl. Today's podcast, Dear Diary, My Boyfriend of 7 Years Dumped Me on the Phone and I Never Saw Him Again is going to cover abandonment wounds, abandonment wound healing and briefly touch on narcissistic abuse and my experience and where I am now after those events have unfolded. I was young getting into this relationship and I know that love shouldn't feel like fireworks or anything explosive. That is an indicator that is over-romanticized and has the potential to burn out faster. Healthy love should feel boring. It is a slow burn, but it is more sustainable. In everyday mundane moments, it's not going to feel like a page ripped out of a rom-com movie. You have work, dishes, bills, stresses. You're enjoying someone's company in silence while doing nothing compared to the big extravagant dates and while those romanticized things are nice sometimes they aren't the reality of any healthy day-to-day relationship this relationship was explosive fast and fleeting and fireworks and at the time that's all really exciting but adult me is able to recognize that anything that is too good to be true probably is And healthy love is going to feel boring at first because I'm not used to it. I'm used to these chaotic highs and lows that come with these intense emotions that afterwards create trauma bonds, but that isn't normal. This person chased me and they started the conversation and they initiated everything. And after that, it was nonstop talking from that moment. And again, it was very fast and fleeting. I don't think it's possible to be good at relationships when you're children and that's me trying to be understanding to both our behaviours because by no means do I think that I was the perfect girlfriend. However, I went into this relationship and I walked out two very different people and not just because of the growth I had from child, teenager to adult but the growth that I had from the trauma that I experienced in this relationship. I, like most young girls, had my insecurities and they were exacerbated in a relationship. My partner didn't make me feel safe, and this wasn't something that I knew how to communicate at the time, but he had a really strong tendency to lie. And it would start with little irrelevant things that meant absolutely nothing, but it led to bigger things. I would get messages from girls at his school saying that he is flirting with them and hiding the fact that he has a girlfriend, and when I would question him about it, he would ask me how I found out. But it went from these little lies to complete conversations online with women who would find out about me and get mad in my honor and then I would find out months after the fact. But he always had a quote-unquote good reason, good excuse. And even though my trust was disappearing, I just felt like I couldn't leave because I was young. I thought this was love and I thought that if this was love, well, you figured it out and you stayed. Which you can love someone or something and know that you deserve better and walk away. And that is something that I obviously know now. I do just want to add here that it is valid to be triggered. But just because you are triggered doesn't justify poor behavior. And there was a point in our relationship where I started fighting fire with fire. I put it as I became him. Thinking it would stop him. He wouldn't let me do a bunch of things. He wouldn't let me post certain photos, wear certain things. He would talk poorly about my friends. He did a lot of disrespectful things that I won't list out of some respect to him. So I started doing the same back and he didn't like that. And that is not something that I am proud of. But I do just want to mention here because, you know, everyone, again, referring back to my other podcast episode everyone has the ability to be toxic and is toxic at some point i remember some of our bigger fights we would have he would ask me a simple question on the phone like about my day and how it was and he would get frustrated about how much i was talking and he would cut in and start yelling what is wrong with you you should google what is wrong with you because you talk so much and that isn't normal and then i would cry and he would hang up on me because he was frustrated He got into this habit of not calling and texting for days for no reason. There is one specific memory I have where he was supposed to come to my house for the weekend and I hadn't heard from him in days 
and our last conversation was really nice and positive and I messaged him every day asking if he was okay if I had done something because I immediately thought oh my god this is my fault um not knowing any better to love myself or how to handle the situation and I got a call on 4 p.m on the Friday afternoon exactly while I was grocery shopping for our food for our weekend together which I thought was still happening and he says that he isn't coming over that he's going to a party instead and that I'm not invited and I started to cry and he got mad at me said what am I crying for I'm always crying which made me cry more and I want to give some context here to say that this was very deep into the relationship this was almost seven years by now so at this point I I'm used to him being flaky on me. I'm kind of used to him yelling at me, but I still cry every time he does it. <laughs> he started raising his voice at me and asking, why are you upset that I'm going to a party seriously? And at this point, I was hysterical and I said, no, I'm just upset that you haven't spoken to me in a few days and you said you were coming to mine, so I, I thought you were still coming. He said that I am lying and that's not what I'm upset about and he hung up on me and I just stood out the front of Coles crying. I didn't hear from him for the rest of the night and the next day, but he did come to see me on the Sunday. He went to the bathroom and he left his phone in the room open and this is wrong of me and I do admit that. But I did look at one of the chats that he had with his female co-worker that night and he was texting her the entire night after the party making sure that she got home safe and I just asked him kindly about it. I didn't confront him in any nasty kind of way. I just said, why could you make sure that she got home safe, which is really nice of you, but you hung up on me crying and you couldn't check in. He yelled at me, made me apologize for looking on his phone, which I understand that I was in the wrong for. And he just played it as though I was the crazy one. He would always use phrases as though I'm making things up in my head and it's all in my head. And this was one of those occasions where instead of pressing for him to apologize or acknowledge the fact that he has ghosted me for a week, I I just took the fall and I said, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. And... And I let it be, even though this was definitely abusive behavior from his side. This was definitely stonewalling and this was ghosting and there was a lot of things happening, but it was definitely abusive. And I just want to add a little definition here of what stonewalling in a relationship actually is. And it's when someone completely shuts down in a conversation or is refusing to communicate with another person. That is the most simplest version that I can put. But I will put some resources on my Instagram glorified fat girl that further explain what stonewalling actually is. Leading up to the breakup, and I am leaving out a lot of details here, and again I want to admit that I was not perfect, but I'm also leaving out the more intense parts of him. And I said earlier in this episode, out of respect to him, but to be perfectly honest, I think it's just to save time. <laughs> I didn't know that anything was wrong. I didn't know that he had plans to move overseas. He dropped that on me one random weekend, by random I mean two weeks before he left the country, that he had decided to move to London for six months, but he fed me with all this false hope that he loves me and we will find our way back together, he just needs this time for himself. And a week went by and it was our seven year anniversary and he did not come to see me. But he was telling me how much he loves me and he was being the nicest to me that he's probably been since we started dating. So in my mind, we were going to make it work. That was very naive of me and very false hope. But again, fleeting, exciting, right? Like I I was back in that that hyper moment of fireworks and excitement, that moment that I I thought I had fallen in love with him. And ever since then, it had disappeared and it had just been these highs and lows. And he was taking me back to that moment. So I thought, maybe, maybe there's a possibility that everything is going to be okay. But he then calls me exactly seven days after our seven year anniversary. And he breaks up with me on the phone. And he's plane leaves for London in the next few days. And he says that he is too busy packing and organizing to see me one last time. When I tell you that I have never seen this man again, 
I have never seen him again. Not the back of his head, the side of his face, a glimmer of him anywhere. He went to London for six months. He came home. COVID happened. He moved to another state. He's moved back to his home state. Life has happened, but I have never seen him again. And sometimes it feels like that was seven years of my life that just never happened. And he's just a face that I see in a nightmare every so often. The memories that I have are only negative, And I don't remember those fleeting moments. I just remember how he left. I remember the pain that he caused me and all the times that I took the fall for it. I remember the last time we spoke on the phone. He was in London and it was my birthday. He called me and he said, happy birthday. And then he started bragging about how he is going drinking that night. And I had no reaction, but I think he wanted me to have a reaction because he then said, I'm so much happier without you. My life is so much better without you. And I started to cry, but I knew not to let him know that I was crying because if he knew I was crying, he would get mad at me. So I held it in. And when he heard that my breathing was a little bit funny, he started yelling. He said, are you effing crying? And then he started yelling more. Of course you effing are for F sake. And then he hung up on me. And I have never heard this man's voice again. In the time that he was away, he would send me messages like, when I come back, I'm going to come see you. And I would screenshot them and have them time stamped and dated. And when I mentioned this to him, when he came back, he said, I never sent those. I sent those before I left. You're crazy, constantly deflecting my reality. And sometimes I would get so upset that Even with all the evidence in the world, I actually did question my reality. He would become so nasty and say the nastiest things. And he would come at me so hard that I would become so hysterical that I would sit there and think to myself, okay, I think the sky is blue, but he is telling me it's purple. So maybe it's purple and maybe I am making stories up in my head (laughs) and I am crazy He just had this way of making me feel like I don't know my reality. Everything I think is wrong. I can't trust myself. But I can't trust him. I can't trust anything. Sometimes he sends me messages saying, I'm sorry for how I left, but I've come to realize that this is just him self-soothing himself. It's not him genuinely being sorry for his actions towards me. He made me promise to keep his number unblocked, that if I blocked him everywhere else, I had to keep his number unblocked. So we at least had one point of contact. And I now see that this is a way of him making sure I'm okay, not because he cares if I'm okay, but just so he can further justify what he did. So in those moments where he might feel a little guilty he can go well I didn't hurt her that bad because she's fine in life she's doing okay and I still have his number unblocked but this is something that in the future I want to change there is a lot of brain development that happens during the teenage years and this is a time where a lot of risk taking happens and social rewards become more important because the brain releases dopamine in response to any social reactions and your emotions also become more intense during this time and your heart rate regulates more blood pressure, your emotions and motivation undergoes major changes. You have new thinking skills and abstract reasoning and problem solving that you didn't have when you were a child and your brain is strengthened in significant ways as it develops further for adulthood. But in saying this, when you are going through abuse and particularly narcissistic abuse in this time, it can drastically change the way your brain develops into adulthood. So I want to now talk about the difference between simplified abuse and narcissistic abuse. Abuse and narcissistic abuse do share similarities, but they do have some distinct differences. And these are just some of those variations. 
So abuse often refers to a pattern of behavior where a person uses power and control to harm and or manipulate another person. And it can come in very different forms, including physical abuse, emotional, psychological, sexual, and financial. And it can happen in all different types of relationships. It can happen in intimate relationships, family relationships, friendships, and work environments. But some of these key features in abusive relationships are power and control dynamics. The abuser exerts power and control over the victim, often through tactics such as intimidation, threats, isolation, um, lack lack of respect for boundaries. The abuser disregards the victim's boundaries or personal needs negative impact on the victim's well-being so this can be physical injuries emotional trauma low self-esteem anxiety depression and other adverse psychological effects and various types of abuse which can encompass a range of behaviors including physical violence verbal insults emotional manipulation financial exploration or sexual abuse Now, some critical key features of narcissistic abuse include narcissistic traits. So the abuser displays characteristics of narcissism, and this is excessive self-importance, a sense of entitlement, lack of empathy, and a intense need for admiration and validation. Manipulation and gaslighting, the abuser employs manipulative tactics to control the victim, including gaslighting, making the victim doubt their own perception and reality, blaming, shifting and guilt tripping, um, exploration. And this this is where the abuser devalues and exploits the victim for their own gain, using tactics like emotional manipulation, silent treatment, um, demeaning comments or withholding affection, which I sighed at because I know this one very well. Uh, Narcissistic injury and rage. The abuser reacts strongly to any perceived criticism or threat to their ego, often responding with anger, rage or revenge. One of the very first things I did when this relationship ended was I put myself in therapy and that is why I'm a massive therapy goer today. I love therapy. The very first person that I I went to see, she did me the hugest favor in the world. She essentially said to me, I am not qualified to help you because what you have experienced is narcissistic abuse. And she referred me to somebody who is trained in narcissistic abuse to help me. Um, And I underwent narcissistic abuse therapy for what I had gone through. And it took me a really long time to understand what narcissistic abuse was. It took me a really long time to understand that he was narcissistically abusive It took me a long time to understand the difference between emotional abuse and narcissistic abuse. It also took me a really long time to understand that who I am as a person is shaped because of that directly. And I almost grieve who I could have been had that experience not have happened. But it did happen and this is who I am. So I I can't change that. But I can, I can grow and I can heal and I can learn from it. And, you know, with that, with that narcissistic abuse therapy, obviously it did open up a lot of abandonment wounds. And that was just another thing thrown into the fire that I had to deal with and I had to learn how to cope with. And I, I was very alone during that time because... It was six months where I really, I had no one. I was coming out of this very abusive relationship and no one really knew my side of the story because I was protecting this person and, you know, 
I still don't talk about a lot of what happened because I'm so afraid that somehow the story will be spun to make me look like the crazy one because this person has indented in my brain so carefully that I am the crazy one and I you know I I spent those first six months very much alone and then and then we went into a lockdown (laughs) so I had this abandonment wound and I I was trying to heal it and coming out of withdrawals from just being in these highs and lows and I was alone doing it and that was a very tough period for me and it's three four years after the fact now and I would say only now in my life do I feel like I am in a better place and that sounds terrifying and that sounds scary but even to this day I still have nightmares about this person and I'm still talking about this person occasionally in therapy and I'm still I'm still reliving parts of this person because they were more than half of my life and they were more than my critical brain developmental years and that is a lot to unpack and unravel and it's just it's a lot so now I want to talk about um, a little bit more about narcissistic abuse with any kind of abuse and narcissistic abuse they always seem so perfect at first and research from 2019 suggests that romantic relationships the abuse begins slowly after you've fallen hard and fast so when I talk about those fleeting firework moments those are my hard and fast moments and during those initial love bombing phases they seem so kind and generous and loving and they make you feel special whether that's with compliments and affectionate displays and gifts I remember this person writing me long essays and they brought me a gift from France and I just I remember being completely wowed and adored by this And in those early stages, it feels so intense and overwhelming. And again, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. But then slowly starts the negging and manipulative traits. And that starts to replace the gifts and declares of love. So no longer are they declaring how much they love you then now slightly putting you down so my example of that is well you should google why you talk so much because something is obviously wrong with you if you talk so much versus the you're the most perfect girl in the world and I'm so lucky and I'm the luckiest guy in the world you're my princess and this is those highs and lows that I was talking about where it just seems so perfect and then it just comes crashing down but you you knew you knew it for what it was so you remember it for what it was and you think to yourself well I know them for how they are so that's who they are right um but that is not the case outsiders will often doubt that the abuse took place and this is very much so my experience I would say that his family and maybe even some of my friends didn't believe my version of the story and this is because narcissistic manipulation is often very subtle and in public these behaviors might be so well distinguished that others will fail to see them as abuse and it could be so subtle that it makes the abused look like the abuser but I want to go back to my are you the toxic one episode where I talk about you know you can have two people who are toxic but one is always louder than the other and you yourself may not even fully understand what is happening you just feel confused or upset or guilty for your mistakes so for example me I I didn't always ask him for an apology. I just, 
I relentlessly apologized for my mistakes. I was, okay, well, I'm so sorry, and I want to get us back to a place of peace now, and it doesn't matter what you've done, it only matters what I've done. I am so sorry. And obviously this is harmful, not having anyone believe your story, and it makes it a lot harder to come out and share your story. I know for me, for seven years, I... I tried to protect him, I tried to hide the story, I took the fall a lot of the time. I know that there were particular particular family members in his family who straight up just did not like me because they felt as though I was the negative one and I just took that fall and let that be and he let that be too. He was like, yep, she's the negative one and we ran with it. Again, I know people close to me who look at our relationship and go, okay, yeah, he did that, but Rochelle did that, so she's equally to blame, and it's like, okay, but I did that because he did this, like, there's just so much behind the scenes that was never shared, never told, and it's because so much of the manipulation was behind closed doors, but again, so subtle, and when you don't have that support system that sees you and hears you, That is hard. That is really difficult. They will do anything to make you look like the bad guy. So people who are narcissistic or narcissistically abusive will do anything to maintain their image of perfection and to earn admiration from others, even if this means making you look bad. So once you start pointing out their problems or their behaviors, they will start lashing out insults directly at you, enrage, threats, anything to criticize you, involving others to criticize you. In my experience with my ex-boyfriend, he again started insulting my intelligence, he started insulting my memory, he started insulting um things that I would bring up about him if I said well you did this he said well you did that and that is worse and it would always end in this conversation of okay well I'm the bad guy here and you know you only did that because I'm worse and your reputation is fine and and mine is damaged and you know, by telling stories to your loved ones that twist the facts about your harmful or unstable behavior, behavior, the narcissist tries to discredit you. So when you do go to people and you say, hey, he's like, he's hurting me or she's hurting me or so-and-so is doing this, the response is, but they did that. So I only acted this way because they did that. And they immediately discredit you, which is, again, another reason why I didn't come forward for so many years or I didn't speak about a lot of things because I knew that he was always there waiting to discredit me at any moment, try to say that I was wrong. Even even if I had all the proof in the world, all those screenshots that he was sending me when he was in London, somehow I I made them up and that is triggering. People with narcissism often have a knack for charming others. They're, they're very charming people. And I mean, that's how they initially win you over. And that's the, the person that they showed you in the beginning. So they still have that skill and they still utilize that skill with others. Someone who has been in a narcissistic abusive situation often freezes up. We respond to trauma in all sorts of different ways. We have our fight or flight. um, But the freeze response happens when you feel helpless. And you feel as though you can't escape from danger. There is no way out of the relationship. And you respond by fawning. And you just do whatever you can to keep your partner happy. And I would say my example of this is me out front of Coles. I'm trying to not let him know that I'm crying because I don't want him to get mad. 
I'm still going ahead and getting groceries for our weekend together because I assume that we're seeing each other. He is the one that is not texting me for days, but I'm asking what did I do wrong? Because I, even though I don't tolerate someone not speaking to me for days and that is not okay behavior, I don't want to push that with him and upset him. I'm just trying to keep the peace. You may have trouble making decisions. This is something that I definitely struggle with. A pattern of being criticized all the time will leave you with very low self-esteem and confidence. And narcissistic manipulation often involves frequent implications that you make bad decisions and you can't do anything right. And an abusive partner may call you stupid often and question your intelligence, which is definitely my experience. So over time, you start to absorb these insults and they start to affect your perception of yourself and you start to second guess yourself. And these gaslighting tactics can affect your decision making. If someone is manipulating you into believing a version of events that didn't happen and you know the truth, like again, he's telling me that the sky is purple. I guess the sky is purple even though I'm seeing it to be blue. You just start to doubt your ability to make decisions well into your future, well after the abuse has taken place. I know for me, even right now, my birthday is coming up. I can't make a single decision about it because it is just too overwhelming for me. I can't make decisions about food. I can't. A lot of my life is plagued by the fact that I don't trust myself. So even if I have a initial gut feeling of I don't want to celebrate my birthday or I think this, it's followed by all these thoughts of, oh, but can you trust yourself? Because, you know, you're not the most reliable and your reality is not always what it seems because, you know, mm, you're a little crazy. Like it's it's followed with all these self-doubting thoughts and it is so easy to tell someone to just, well, don't think that way, let it go. But to put it in perspective, my brain has been wired this way for seven years of emotional abuse on top of any other emotional abuse that I would have received from family and other avenues. That is more than half of my life of very intense abuse and narcissistic abuse is very intense abuse that is very one-on-one enclosed abuse I've only been as my my psychologist would say I've only been free of that for three or four years but I was in that for almost a decade on top of the other abuse that I have experienced I have to be kind to myself and give myself that grieving space and I think anyone who has gone through that has to do the same You always feel like you have done something wrong. A key characteristic of somebody who is narcissistic abusive is that they always have difficulty taking responsibility to any negative reactions or harmful behavior they may have caused. Abusive partners typically find some way to cast the blame on you instead. And they insist that they said something that you have no recollection of and getting so angry and end up so- you end up soothing them by apologizing and agreeing that you were wrong. And again, I want to talk about this in a future episode and I did briefly touch on it in my Are You the Toxic one, but you have unexplained physical symptoms. And I talked about this also in my Psychology of Grief episode about losing my dad. When you go through traumatic things, your body experiences trauma too. So you may have appetite changes, upset stomach or nausea, stomach pain, muscle aches and pains, insomnia, fatigue. And, you know, my my body has experienced a lot of trauma and not just from this narcissistic abusive relationship. I have had other forms of abuse in my life and my body, body has a lot of chronic illnesses essentially just illnesses that you can't see I quote-unquote look healthy but 
I am very fatigued. I am very run down. And we are doing a lot of testing and we are trying to figure things out. And aside from my ED, there isn't a lot to say that there is anything there. It might just be my body has gone through a lot of trauma and it now needs rest. There is a big connection between your psychological and your physical and I really want to do another deep dive episode into this because I think this is really interesting. But just some other things to quickly key mention is that you may not recognize yourself, you have difficulty knowing who you are, you have trouble setting boundaries which is a big one for me, you have symptoms of anxiety and depression. But I just want to mention that it is possible to get to a space where every day does become easier and it is very much so one step at a time. You can take one step forward, five steps back and then ten steps forward and that's very much how my healing process through all of this has been. Recently I have been having nightmares about this person but up until now it has been, they've been off my mind and I have been fine but there are things that trigger me. There was a person that I was casually seeing in a situationship that triggered me because they reminded me of this person. They had traits like this person. And when those traits got a little too familiar, I was sent straight back to, oh my God, I'm in the seven-year relationship with this person again. And it brought up all these things. They were accusing me of things that I wasn't doing. And so it reminded me of this seven-year relationship. They were saying really hurtful things to me and getting angry with me and it just sent me back to a place that I never wanted to be in again. So it is a very back and forth process. You are constantly, you're constantly healing this part of yourself. But where I am now is so much further along than where I was in the beginning had I have not started this journey. So now I want to talk a little bit about abandonment wounds and kind of what helped me move past my abandonment wound, which, you know, is still there and I'm still healing from and it still comes up in other parts of my life, such as my other relationships and even my friendships and my day-to-day life. But there was one thing that I did that I found really helpful for me and it was a significant turning point in my healing journey and I wrote this person a burn letter and it was this safe space where I could just say everything to this person. I could tell them about how they have hurt me and all the things they, they have done and I didn't have to worry about them getting upset or angry or reacting in any sort of way I could just respond however I wanted to and wish them whatever I wanted to wish them and then just do with the letter as I wanted not send it to them of course but just do with it as I wanted And that was just a way for me to bring all these feelings up to the surface and just acknowledge that this is something that happened. And even though this person isn't here for me to say it to their face and they can't say anything to my face, they had to break up with me over the phone and literally never see me again and they can't apologize for that, let alone half of anything that had ever happened. I I acknowledge that this all happened and it was a very powerful moment of me just trying to take that power back and reclaim it for myself of you don't get this control over me. I get to rewrite the story from here on and I get to decide what happens next and I decide what kind of person I think you are. And Something that was really important for me was I always told myself, well, I wish everyone well and, you know, all these nice things. But the the truth is, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. If someone has hurt or upset you to this extreme degree, you don't have to wish them well. I don't wish 
bad and ill on this person. I hope they have good health and so forth. But I don't, I don't have to wish anything more for them. Because at some point I have to choose myself. And this is that moment that I choose myself. And writing that burn letter really did that for me. I needed to acknowledge this relationship because as I said, there was just a moment where I felt like, did that even happen? Seven years just went by. Now this person is gone. I've never seen them ever again. It's like they don't exist. But I'm left with all this trauma. Did this even happen? I just needed something to acknowledge that this was very much so real. My feelings are very much so valid. And if no one is here to close this book for me, I can close this book for me. Closure may or may not exist, but at very least, I can acknowledge that this happened and I can be the person that I need for myself. If he can't apologize and if he can't give all this to me, I will give it to me. And that was a very powerful moment for me. And to also just take him off the pedestal that I had put him on, that he was this big, amazing first love that I had experienced, instead bring him down to this level of it was so romanticized and taking away all this glitz and glamour, that's actually not what it was. And I really, I needed that. An abandonment wound is the result of being physically or emotionally abandoned either as a child, as an adult, or both, most commonly as a child, and this often results in anxious attachment. An anxious attachment style is one of the main four types of attachments, and people who have developed an anxious attachment may have difficulty feeling secure in relationships. As children, they cling into caregivers or become insoluble when the caregiver leaves, but in adults, they usually find themselves attracted to people in relationships who are emotionally avoidant. So you usually find that they go in hand in hand, and I've spoken about this on my Instagram, and I've spoken about this in my podcast episode, Am I the Toxic One, that you usually find anxious attachment paired with avoidant attachment they usually go hand in hand with each other there's usually a runner and usually a chaser the four different types of attachment styles are secure avoidant disorganized and anxious and knowing your attachment style can really help you understand how you navigate in romantic partnerships your family and your friendships But some signs of anxious attachment in adults could be difficulty with trusting others, low self-worth, worry that people are going to abandon you, um, craving closeness and intimacy, being overly dependent in relationships, requiring frequent reassurance that people care about you, being overly sensitive to a partner's actions and moods, and being highly emotional, impulsive, and unpredictable and moody, and This is not, you may not have all of these, but this is just some of these. In a 2015 study on 160 adolescents and young adults, researchers found that a history of emotional neglect during childhood was associated with anxiety disorders later in life. And these usually led to depression and other disorders that led to anxious attachment. Anxious attachment usually develops in childhood because there is already a growing abandonment wound there, but abandonment issues come from being wounded by somebody of significance in your life unexpectedly leaving you. So while this predominantly can happen in childhood, it can also happen in your later teen and adult years. And just speaking from my experience, it happened to me in childhood and in this relationship so it happened to me in both so as an adult I do have very anxious attachment and that is something that I am aware of in myself and something that I am constantly working on. Narcissistic abuse often involves a lot of emotional abandonment and it is the result of somebody significant in your life disregarding you, dismissing you, devaluing you and not acknowledging you 
and receiving nothing from somebody who is in your eyes on a pedestal and having that emotional abandonment, it is triggering and it is hurtful. It is extremely hurtful. People need to feel as though they matter to others. They need to have that sense of belonging. Being invisible to your loved ones is an existential wound and it causes you to feel that you don't matter and you question your right to even exist. Research has found that one of the primary ways to injure a person is to remove him or her from significant significant human contact, particularly communication. One of the forms of narcissistic abuse involves control of communication, which I spoke about in my experience. And this is also an experience that I had with my situationship. This person, and and I also put this on my Instagram, the difference between space, asking for space and simply just stonewalling. This person completely just ghosted and that set off a lot of triggers for me because it reminded me of my seven-year relationship. It was the the pulling away from communication and this can happen in many forms crazy making conversations stonewalling um not addressing the issue unwillingness to resolve conflict ignoring but either way it is silent treatment and it's a weapon of narcissistic abuse and other forms of abusers and it causes deep feelings of abandonment in the person being abused. Some people are so hurt by reoccurring incidents that the silent treatment that they they fall into substance abuse, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications or end-of-life thoughts because it it essentially is saying you don't exist and that I can confirm as somebody who has been on the receiving end of no communication and being pushed away in those really heavy times and having that abandonment wound on top of all of this happening, you do begin to feel like, okay, well then I don't exist and my feelings aren't valid and I don't matter. And you, your self-worth as a human being really starts to devalue. And that should never happen to anyone. That should, that should never happen. I do have a post on my Instagram that tells the difference between the silent treatment and asking for space. So if you want to look at that, go to my Instagram, Glorified Fat Girl. I think one of the best ways that you can heal an abandonment wound, whether as an adult or something that you have experienced as a child, either or, is to look in at your inner child and to speak to yourself as if you are speaking to your inner child. I know that aside from writing a letter to myself, this is something that really helped me. I just, whenever I would say to myself, you're dumb or you don't know anything, you're crazy. Or I would tell myself the things that he used to tell me and I would repeat them in my head over and over and over. I would look in the mirror and I would say, but would you say this to six-year-old Rochelle? Does she deserve to hear this? Does she deserve to hear that she is dumb, that she's crazy, that she's making stories up in her head? No, no. So don't say it to you now because you are her. And that would ground me and that would bring me back to a space of be kinder to yourself, be be more gentle with yourself. It's really important that when you're going through the stages of trying to heal and cope from abuse that you just take moments to just be kind to yourself because again it's going to be a very five step backwards but one step forward kind of process and that is you making progress and that is a success it's not a failure that is a success I think this is the perfect time to say that if you or anyone else you know is struggling, help is available. 13 11 14 is the lifeline number. If you want to give them a call, I think they are 24-7 and they are always there to help. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up now, but I just want to say thank you so much for listening and tuning in every week. It has meant so, so much to me. I also just want to say that for anybody who is 
in this space right now, just know that there is light at the end of this tunnel. You can be without this person and you can survive without them and you will be okay doing so. I think we put them on such a pedestal that we tell ourselves there can't be life beyond, but there is life beyond. And I know for me, my life got so much better. I I started modeling when this relationship ended. This person would never let me post bikini photos or wear crop tops in public or anything that was too low cut and... When this person left my life, I started being my authentic self and that's when a modeling agency um, scouted me when I was signed for the first time. And here I am now working for all these incredible brands and I've been in all these incredible magazines and published internationally and on TV and, you know, I've had all these really cool experiences that I know if I was still in that place, I wouldn't have had. I have met the most incredible friends, I think. I think it is true when they say you don't know everyone that is going to love you and you are going to love yet. And that is so true. And I think that I think that you just have to find the strength to just keep pushing through these really difficult moments I know that I spent a lot of nights in bed just crying and just being really alone and thinking to myself that this person was the best that I was ever going to get and I'm not worth anything and and even when I've had a situationship after that has triggered me because they've reminded me of this person I've, I've thought to myself okay well there's something wrong with me because I only attract people like this you know I've had to just come back and remind myself, hey, you need to be kind to yourself. You need to be kind to yourself. Because, again, you went through this really abusive relationship for more than half your life. And you've only been free of it for three, four years. There are so many neural pathways in your brain that have learnt certain things and been connected that you now have to unwire and that is not going to happen overnight and it's so easy to say don't let your traumas affect you and just get up and go throughout the day but at the end of the day trauma lives in the body and it's a lot harder than that and it's going to be a lot harder than that especially when you have other traumas and other things that you're dealing with so that's why I always put a reminder at the end of these episodes to be kind to yourself and to nurture yourself and to just feel your feelings and embrace them and let them come in And just love yourself through those moments because you'll never win a race by trying to find shortcuts. You have to embrace these hard moments, but give yourself compassion as you do so. with that whatever resonates with you and whatever doesn't that is okay this may not be for everyone and you may not agree with everything that is said and that is also okay i want to remind you to be kind to yourself and i will speak to you next time bye